All right. So uh, just a little bit of history. I watched my first Super Bowl. Oh, by the way, my sermon's not about the Super Bowl. But, you know, I, I couldn't help but throw a little bit in here to start. So um, let me a sec here. All right. So uh, back in, uh, in uh, January of 1986, you know, and I was thinking about it. I don't think I ever actually watched a professional football game before that. And I was more of a baseball fan. You know, I came from San Diego. We had the Padres, you know, so there you go. And there wasn't much to watch back then. But, uh, you know, we had uh, we moved uh, to Germany because uh, I was in the service. We were in Frankfurt, you know, in 86. Uh, and if you don't recall, you may not, the, uh, the Patriots were playing in the Super Bowl for the very first time against this other team, you know, the Chicago Bears. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it was a lot of run-up to the game. You know, the Bears made a music video that made the radio station, even in Germany, decide to listen to the Bears. You know, I, I didn't remember the lyrics of it. If you want to look at go YouTube it, it's awful. But, <laughs> you know, and even I think the Patriots made their own little, you know, music video. A lot of hype going to the game. It was the Patriots' first appearance. And let me tell you something. The Patriots that night, oh, and it was late. It was midnight in the middle of the game in Germany, right? So I actually went to bed at halftime because I had had enough of my first professional football game. Jeanette stayed up and watched the whole thing. Patriots didn't get a comeback. They didn't pull it out. It was 46-10. to 10. It was brutal. You know, so the lasting memory of that Super Bowl is Mike Ditka, which I sort of respect, you know. And so as we, as we want to talk today, I borrowed this from Ralph. You know, as far as patience, I want to talk a little bit about patience today. <laughs> so, you know, so being a real Patriots fan, you know, that was going back a long time ago. And so we had to wait another 11 years for another Super Bowl. And it was against the team that I won't even wear the jersey of, Green Bay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we were leading a singles group then. We had little kids. And uh, so one sister, a big, you know, Green Bay fan, she was from Wisconsin, I believe, and uh, came over with her cheese head, right, her hat, her jersey. And for my daughters who were, you know, of a suggestible age, you know, I don't know, whatever that was, do the math, they were young, she brought them green and gold pom-poms. <clears throat> And so at every time Green Bay scored, they danced around the room waving their pom-pom. And, uh, you know, that night was a rough night, too. You know, there was no comeback that night. In fact, we have some memorable photos from that time of that Super Bowl. So it was a great night uh, for Green Bay and not so much uh, for me. Now, now somewhat of a fan at that point. And so then fast forward another, another five years. And, you know, the Patriots had another shot at the Super Bowl, you know, in 2002, right? And it had been 15 years since I watched my first Patriots game, and they actually came through by three points in that game. So it was a good game. That was 15 years ago. So my point is that I spent 15 years as a frustrated Patriots fan. And and we've had another good 15, a great 15 years since then. So I'm in. And so that's history. So, and I have a picture to go along with that, too. So that... That's a, you know, he was shocked. Uh, we won it. It was awesome, right? So, man, that's all I have about football today. So I want to I continue on and take us over back to what we have been talking about. You know, last week Mike kicked off, kicked off our theme uh, for uh, the year on what is love. Remember that? 
You know, he started out in 1 Corinthians 13, did a great job getting us going on. Love is the most, remember? Excellent way. The most excellent way. It's awesome, right? And so I want to continue from using the, the cue from uh, 1 Corinthians about love is patient. And the title I'd like to use today is that is God's patience allows well, us, allows me to change. It's awesome. Now, aren't you surprised when you look through the Bible about all the times that God has to be patient with people in the Bible? You know, we read stories of men and women who had to rely on God because of their weakness and their failings. You think about it. It starts off, right, Adam and Eve in paradise, Garden of Eden. Awesome. And yet there's just one basic rule. Don't eat from this tree. And what do they do? They eat from the tree. They got kicked out. Bummer. Their kids, you know, well, maybe they'll pass it on to their kids. Well, so one son, Cain, kills the other son, Abel, because they had disagreements over how to worship God, how to, uh, and they just were jealous. Uh, well, maybe it'll get better. Moses, you know, Moses is in Pharaoh's household, but then he murders somebody, leaves the country because of disobedience. Does some great things later. We'll talk about that some a little later on today. How about David? David's king. A man after God's own heart, but then he commits adultery and murder. You know, if you were trying to write a book and have it, you know, make everybody go, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that, I believe that, you just wouldn't write it this way. It's just too amazing. God is too amazing in how he reveals his own patience for us. You know, even Jesus, you know, God incarnate, his disciples abandoned him and disowned him. Crazy. God is very patient. You know, look over, I looked up just to help me. I pulled up the Encyclopedia of Bible Words. I think that's a good place to start for Bible Words, right? And I looked up and it said, Love is patient. Uh, under patience. I got that, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, the New Testament contains many exhortations to be patient. But just what is patience? The Greek word focuses our attention on restraint. That capacity for self-control despite circumstances that might arouse the passions or cause agitation. In personal relationships, patience is forbearance. This is not so much a trait as a way of life. We keep on loving or forgiving despite provocation, as illustrated in Jesus' pointed stories in Matthew 18. Patience also has to do with our reaction to the troubles that we experience in life. You know, so you think about patience, perseverance, self-control, this idea of restraint, holding yourself back, not doing what you know you want to do but you shouldn't do, um, but also then just endurance, suffering, long-suffering. You know, I'm never, I don't ever use long-suffering. Suffering, yes, but the Bible uses long-suffering, so I guess it's a, it extends it. But, you know, there's, there's a great irony in me personally teaching a lesson on patience. You know, I, am not, I was not born a patient person, not at all. You know, God, God has been very patient with me. But, you know, I think about, you know, going back to my, my growing up, you know, before my Super Bowl events there, you know, my, you know, my dad's house was very middle class. My dad, electrician, my mom, a nurse. You know, I probably remember more about my parents' disagreements than I do about their agreements, you know, for whatever reason. You know, they loved me. They took care of me. But, you know, my, my mom passed away when I was eight years old. My dad remarried. And my stepmom, you know, was very positive, but I think it was a lot of stuff that found its way into my heart. You relate to that? You get some stuff sort of filters in, and you don't really know how to process it. You know, as a, as a teenager, um, you know, I had knock-down, drag-out arguments with my stepmom, never with my dad, because 
things didn't go well that way, and I ended up getting a couple of, you know, we would call in those days good old-fashioned whoopings, right? <coughs> things I wouldn't recommend anybody do to any child, but I got a few of them, you know. And I think that kind of dealing with frustration, that lack of patience, you know, I sort of stuffed it all in. So, like, it would come out when I did things like, you know, like I love to work on things that, you know, have a very mechanical sort of bent. It's like even working on cars, you know, when something wouldn't quite go together, you know, I, you know, I would give it one shot of going together right, or maybe two or three. But when we got to about four or five, I started to either throw it, which is not good when you're, you know, suddenly you're trying to put in, let's say, a carburetor or, you know, or, or hit it with a hammer because that's just all I could do to sort of deal with that lack of patience or that frustration with it. You know what? It, it carried over. You know, in college, I would vent some of my anger by punching walls. And so I'm, I'm really good at drywall. I can patch drywall well because I, that's how I learn to do it because I put holes in it and you had to fix it. You know, and, uh, you know, it even sort of rolled over to, in, you know, raising my kids, you know, and in my relationship with Jenna. I think I learned early. You know, I became a disciple, got baptized. You know, I started to grow up a little bit and I started to, you know, to repent, start to begin to control my anger. You know, I learned that, you know, being angry with Jeanette didn't help our relationship at all, surprisingly, you know. I, you know, I learned that even being angry toward my kids just made Jeanette angry at me. And so I started to work in. I realized this is not, you know, this is not a healthy thing. But, you know, if you've ever had teens, anybody ever had teens or young teens around? You know, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they are unpredictable in their behavior, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, they are teens after all, right? And, and so I would get frustrated, and sometimes I just would lose it, and I would, I would yell at them. You know, my normal disciplined self would leave the room. You know, and I'd say things that I, you know, I regret now, that I, that I regretted then. You know, I would even sometimes, unfortunately, some of these conversations even happened when we were driving, and I would just get furious. And so I would begin to drive, you know, uh, irrationally, impulsively, like scaring them, right? You know, and so I realized that, you know, my anger, my impatience, you know, was extremely sinful, you know, and I was doing things that I, I couldn't take back. And so, you know, I think my kids, several of them expressed, they look forward to being 18 and not having to be parented anymore. <laughs> and I'm probably part responsible for that, you know. But, you know, one thing I realized is that, you know, having a little more foresight than they did is that parenting never ends, right? It doesn't give up. And so I knew that it's not my opportunity to look forward to them, you know, moving out, but to really change, you know, my perspective and my patience with them and to become the man of God that he wants me to be. So I'm still working on that, you know, and uh, I still struggle sometimes when things don't go the way I want them to do go, but I know that God's patience is patient and he's, he's given me space to grow and change. So with that sort of in mind, I want to dig into the scriptures and help us to sort of get more of a conviction about love is patient, but God is also patient. So let's look over in Second Peter chapter 3. All right, so here, and my first point is God is patient with us. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, I'm glad that God is patient with you. I am, I really am glad. But I'm excited that he's patient with me. You know, I'm really, you know, honestly, I'm more concerned about me. And I'm glad he's patient with you. But you know that God has given me time to come to repentance. 
Have you ever had that expectation about why in the world can't I seem to overcome what's going on in my life? Why is this thing dragging out? Why can't I just put it away? You know, I decided to change. I change. It's over. I'm done. Ever feel that way? It's sort of like how I feel when I go to the gym. Why can't one trip to the gym make me look like Kyle? <laughs> Man, you know, maybe it'll be two or three and I'll get there, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, that consistency that God really wants, He wants to give me the opportunity to change. You know, and you think about it, literally, God has all the time in the world, right? He makes time. You know, it says that with Him, a day is like a thousand years. You know, you want a day to last a long time? God can make it go really, really slowly. You want it to go really, really fast? Well, a thousand years can be like a day. Bang, it can go by really fast. God is totally in control of that. And the whole purpose of this, the whole reason for His patience, His ability to, uh, to uh, long suffer with us, is He wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants all to come to that change of heart that draws us uh, to be like His Son, Jesus. You know, Think about it. You know, As I think about... You know, one example of God uh, being long-suffering is in um, the book of Acts. You know, Paul spends here you know, a couple other verses in Acts 13 where he talks about the transition from Egypt until they arrived at the Promised Land. It was about, you know, 450 years that it took him to get there, right? And, you know, as you recall, you know, God gave Pharaoh a number of signs to show him that he was God, you know, even to the point that the firstborn of every family was killed if they didn't mark the doors with blood, right? So it was a pretty serious sign. Remember God parted the Red Sea? Remember hearing about that? And they escaped through it. They raced to the Promised Land. Maybe a year or two they got there. They spied it out. They didn't really see it with faith. And they got to wander around in the desert for another 40 years before they got in. I thought it was interesting, you know, it says, you know, remember the, remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. You know, God's not oblivious to our plight, you know, but he's trying to train us and guide us to humility. Now, it really struck me the long way. You know, there's the short way and the long way. Now, they made it from Egypt, the promised land, in about a year. Then they spent 40 years sort of wandering around trying to find it again, right? Trying to get there. And yet, you know, we do that sometimes when we're training people, like with our kids. Sometimes, you know, we don't, you know, you know, Evelyn hasn't yet got the keys to the car, right? You know, be a little bit, you know, I, I'm sure she would do a great job, you know. I'm sure, if we, you know, even if we gave her the driver's manual, I'm sure she could read it, understand it, and do everything it says. But there's going to be a little bit slower plan to get that to happen, right, to get her ready to be able to do that. And, you know, to the person that's, that's on the other side of it, it's sometimes it can just feel unfair. It's like, why can't I do what I want to do, what I think is right? Why can't I just do it right now? I felt that way, right? And yet God says, sometimes it takes a little bit of training to get you to be at the right place for you to be able to proceed with humility. Why couldn't I have been born a patient person? I would have preferred that. You know, I think my kids would have preferred it. You know, but God, for some reason, thought that I needed to take the long way to get there. I needed to spend some time in the wilderness to humble me. You know, to be able to see what was in my heart and to see whether or not I would keep his commandments, whether I would decide that I would change. He was being patient with me because he knew that I needed that time uh, to really change, that time to go through that wilderness experience. You know, um, you know, sometimes you wonder, is God really guiding me, right? 
You know, that's what the, the uh, that's what the Israelites thought. You know, read uh, read your Old Testament. They did some crazy stuff. <clears throat> you know, some crazy stuff when they're out in the wilderness. And Paul is, I think, with God being very gracious in how he recounts it in Acts. He says, God put up with them. I like that. I like that God put up them. I put up with my kids, but God puts up with me, you know, in a much better way. You know, God was wanting a, a better result, a better ending. God is extremely patient. You know, and because of that, we have the opportunity, my second point, to respond with patience. And this is funny because, you know, I encourage you to read Matthew 18. It's a great passage, great chapter. It, uh, it starts off and talks about, um, about just how little children come to God and we need to be like little children. You know, there's another piece in there about, uh, about the sheep, about how uh, God is wanting to leave the 99 behind and go fetch the one to take care of them, that he's, he's that eager to see everybody make it. Even spend some time there talking about... Uh, about um, you know, just when somebody sins against you, you need to talk to them. And if they don't repent, then you need to get some more people. And it's a way of figuring out how to get people, to, you know, to repent, to how to be patient with each other. So that's sort of the setup, you know. And so then Peter comes. I like it. Peter's my kind of guy. He says, came to Jesus and asked, "Hey, Lord." Doesn't say he said, "Hey," but you know that's what I would have said. How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, "I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times." I mean, if I'd been saying, I would have been one time, two times. Is that enough in a day? You know, Peter's at least a little more spiritual. He says, "How about seven in a day?" Now, you ever felt that way when you're in a relationship? I mean, at work, you know, in your family. In your, with brothers and sisters, just, you know, even with strangers, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I'm being righteous. You know, they're the ones that are really being sinful. They're messing up. You know, and they do it all the time. You know, they don't tell me the truth. They lie to me. Or they're, not, they're just not thinking about me. They're not being considerate. Uh, they're doing hurtful things to me. Or maybe not to me, but to somebody who's really important, like my wife, you know. Or if you're a, a sister, your husband, or my children, or just you know, they're my my good friends, you know, do I really have to put up with that? You know, I'll give them a chance, one or two chances, but that's enough. You know, but that's how Peter felt. You know, that's how I feel at times. I deserve to be treated better. I'm entitled to have things go better. Uh, I'm in the right after all. You know, I don't want to be patient. I want things to go the way they ought to go. You know, I want it to be turned around. I want to have the right just to walk away. It's, yeah, I've had it with you. And so Jesus, hearing what Peter said, decides to tell him a little story. And so he tells him a story. So the first part of the story is, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. You know, this is really, this is a crazy story. It really is because, you know, this is a slave, right? And slaves, at best, they earn a denarius, which, if you put this in scope of how much he owed, he said he owed 10,000 talents. 
You know, I read something that said 10,000 talents is roughly the equivalent of about $7 billion. You know, not a lot of money if you're Bill Gates, but a lot of money for the most of the rest of us, right? You know, and if you're making a denarius, you know, if you gave it all to repay the debt and save nothing for yourself, you know how long it would take you to repay it? 200,000 years. <laughs> That's a long time. That's a really long time. You know, I was thinking about that. Okay, well, if, if that would be like if we just made on the sort of the average income here in Burlington, the greater Burlington area, maybe about 200,000 people, maybe a little less. That means you could pay everybody's whole cost of living for a whole year for the whole greater. Everybody you met, everybody, you know, driving down to Williston, wherever, everybody you meet, you'll pay for their kids to go to college, for their house, for their food, for everything for a year. That's how much you owe. It's a big debt. That's a lot of money, you know. And so, uh, so Jesus is telling him a story. Say, let me give you an example. Here's somebody that owes seven billion dollars, and uh, and uh, you know, they come and they say, what do they say? Well, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. Really? You know? That's, okay. You know, have you ever done that with God? Say, God, you know, I know I'm really messing up, you know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna fix it. Interesting, we say, Jesus is going to fix it, right? He's the one that can fix it. I'm going to fix it first, though. I'll get it right. I'll, I'll straighten it out. Uh, I'll put it together. And, and then I really can come humbly back to you. Really? Does that really work? You know, only God has the ability to forgive this kind of debt, this 200,000 times my capability to repay. You know, that's, that's really what it is. But it's crazy. Not only he, he wasn't just patient... Imagine God said, okay, I'll put you on a payment plan. You know, I'll, you know dollar a day, 200,000 years. How's that work? You probably go, yeah, that'd be fine, you know. But so much better, it's just wiped away, it's gone. He canceled the debt. He does the same thing for us. You know, he forgives all of our debts. You know, the writer in Hebrews says, we're not waiting for Jesus to come back to forgive our sins. He's already done that. We're coming back for salvation. He's coming back to take us away, right? It's, it's just amazing, you know. It's, it's, but it is the answer to Peter's question. But he goes on, he makes, he makes it even more poignant. You know, adds a second half to it. He says, starting at verse 28, But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, about a hundred days, you know, about a quarter, four months' worth of pay. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. And I'll pay you back. Wait, you said the same thing. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You know, so he's been forgiven an impossible amount, you know, but he can't forgive somebody else who owes him a couple of months' wages. You know, this is not about borrowing money, not even about, it's about, it's an answer to Jesus' crazy question. You know, here's what Peter should have heard. It says, are you crazy? You've been forgiven 200,000 times what this person is asking you to forgive. You know, what do you think the servant's response should have been? You know, I could have, you could have just been patient. He said, okay, 
I know you owe the money. You owe me something. I'll be patient as you change. That would be a good. That would be a good response, right? That would be an okay response. He could have even responded like the master and said, "Okay, you know, I'm just going to forgive you, even before you change. I'm going to love you. I'm going to put my arm around you. I'm going to be patient with you because I know that changing is hard. You know, I know from my background that changing is hard. You know, it's it's hard to be loving all the time. You know, I really appreciate what Scott shared about being sinful. It's it's easy when you start thinking on that level. You know, I, I don't do the big sins, but I do the little sins all the time. And that's what I'm striving to change. And that's the debt I owe my master. You know, it's way more than I can account for. And so when it comes time to forgive somebody else, you know, what can I say? But I've been forgiven $7 billion. So, you know, buying your coffee today spiritually, I can do that. That's what the master's response, that's what Peter's message was. Seven Seven times, 77 times, 200,000 times. Just do it because God has forgiven everything, you know, given up everything for you. You know, Jesus was asking Peter to be patient and long-suffering, suffering way beyond measure, an immeasurable amount. You know, I think one thing that struck me just as, I'll call it a sidebar, is that there's an interaction going here that Peter's talking about, you know, that just this whole idea of going and, and repenting and asking somebody for forgiveness you know, when you sin against somebody, it's a good thing to go and ask for forgiveness. You know, it's also a good thing to, to express your patience with somebody and, and forgive them. You know, we did it when our kids were little. They would take a toy from another kid and we would say, okay, you got to give the toy back and you have to say you're sorry. And they, and they would say, and, and sometimes they would say it half-heartedly. Feel like sometimes we say it half-heartedly. And then we would say, okay, and you need to say, I forgive you. You know, and okay, maybe we're being legalistic, maybe we're being structured, but I think we were trying to teach them that this is what this interaction looks like when you're wholehearted. I think the challenge for me is how often have I been willing, when I've sinned against somebody, to go and say, look, I, I'm sorry I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And then, as rarely as that happens for me, but how often then, when that does happen, am I willing to say, you know what, I, I forgive you? It's water under the bridge. I'm just going to forget it and we'll move forward. I'm not going to hold it against you. I just say that as that happens, that really is expressing, I think, what Jesus was trying to express to Peter at that time. Is This is what forgiveness looks like. And it's not about counting whether it's seven or 77 times. It's about realizing that the real numbers are more like 200,000 to one and that uh, letting go of it is really the right way. And then lastly, my last point, I think, is there's another piece to this is that we're waiting patiently for God. Oh, where did that scripture come from? There we go. All right, so uh, James in chapter 5, verse 7 says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you too will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You know, so we're waiting for the Lord's coming again. We're waiting patiently until either we die or until he comes again. And he calls us to be faithful during that time. And James, you know, the brother of Jesus here, gives a great example about from agriculture, right? He says, you have to wait until it's time to yield your valuable crop. Now, my neighbor has a valuable crop. You know, I can see his crop from my house. 
it's a big stand, a sugar bush. It's maple trees, right? Now, can you imagine if you went out in August and tried to tap those maple trees? What would you get out of them? Nothing. You know, hopefully you wouldn't kill them, right? Even if you went out in January and tried to tap them, what would you get out of them? Nothing, right? It's the wrong time. It has to get a little bit warmer. You know, Puxatawney Phil came up and said six more weeks of winter, so maybe it's going to be a little later in March than it might be if he hadn't come up, if you believe in that stuff, right? But it's a valuable crop. So my neighbor is willing to wait to tap him at just the right time so he can make all the things that we love, like maple syrup, maple butter, maple sugar, you know, and whatever else, maple. It's all wonderful stuff, right? But it's valuable. And in the same way, you know, when you're waiting, you know, if you have a field of hay or a, a crop of trees or whatever it is, you, you need water. And we probably can't get enough water out of Lake Champlain to water all the maple trees in Vermont, can we? It's, impo- it's impossible. We really have to depend on, on the rain that God brings. And so he uses that analogy to think about that's how we're waiting for God. There is not going to be a harvest without God. If we don't wait for him, there's not going to be a harvest at all. We have to be patient. And so that's one aspect of patience. Things are going good. I'm waiting for the harvest. God's going to bring a blessing. It's going to be awesome. That, but I would propose to you that's the easy kind of patience. There's another example that, that James adds to it. He says, Brothers, as the example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So he reminds us that sometimes we're patient even in suffering. Now, if you haven't read Job, it's a nice light read. You know, <laughs> Satan comes to, to uh, God and says, you know what? You have this awesome, awesome guy, Job. He's flourishing in his family. He's flourishing in his business. Everything's going well with him. But you know what? I think if I, if I go after him, he'll walk away from you. God said, I don't think so. And so it goes on, and there is quite a challenge. You know, Job has quite a bit of suffering. It says he's picking his sores with shards of of ceramic, right? So it's pretty bad. And he was one of the good guys. He was one that was doing everything right. And yet he got to suffer that way. And so James just rekindles that example here and says, you know, we consider blessed those who persevered, you know, who've been patient in the face of suffering. I don't like suffering, you know. You know, Peter even goes on so much as to say in, in, in uh, 1 Peter 2 that it's commendable to stand up under, under un, unjust suffering. And, you know, when you do the right thing and people come after you and really nail you, you know, 2 Peter goes on and, and gives some stories about, you know, how the doubters are going to come and scoff, say, where is this resurrected Messiah? Where is the second coming? What's going on? Jesus hasn't come back yet. What are you guys waiting for? You're just stupid. And that's, to mind, just being called stupid is light suffering. You know, they, these are people that were the prophets, you know, who spoke in the name of the Lord. You know, they, they suffered immensely and, and many of them died uh, at the hands of their uh, persecutors. But I think uh, this is the second aspect of patience is that we can be patient in the face of suffering. So be patient when things are going great. Be patient when you're waiting for the harvest of righteousness. Be patient when things aren't going so good trusting that there is also still a harvest of righteousness ahead of you. You know, God is incredibly patient with us as people. You know, he's faithful to his promises. They just don't always come in the timing that we're thinking about. But he's calling us to wait for his time because it will be way more. How many times more? 200,000 times more awesome than you think? I like that number. 
You know, so finally, just looping back here to Second Peter, don't forget, just don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord's not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. I think we should listen to that one more time. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. He doesn't want you to perish spiritually. But he wants you, he wants me, he wants all of us to come to and stay in a repentant frame of mind. God's patiently waiting for you. Are you patiently waiting for him? Amen.